Amen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, normally, uh, Pastor Nicole does the offering uh, most, of the, most of the days, not all the time, but she does it. But over the last month or so, I've, the Lord told me specifically uh, to go over some of the key components of the tithes and offerings. And so one of the very first things we talked about was the difference between tithes and offerings. Tithes are 10% of your increase. And they're God's. They're not ours to determine where they go or how much it is. It's 10% of our increase, period. And it belongs to God. And I can either choose to be obedient or to steal it. That's the way the Word talks, right? So a lot of people feel like they have a right to choose where it should go. And God gives them the ability to choose whether or not they're going to return it to Him. But it's not really theirs to make up. It, he says, it's mine and it's holy. And so many times people have uh, something going on in their life where they're touching something wrongly that's holy. And then they wonder why things are going bad. It's because you are mishandling the, the holy things of God. Now, the word tells the priest that the priests are responsible for teaching the people the difference between the holy and the profane. Now, the profane simply means this. If we put profane into today's terms, it would mean this, common. In other words, there's something that's special and set apart, and there's something that's very common. And he says, you've got to teach the people the difference between that. Well, the tithe, by God's own words, the tithe is holy and it's not to be treated common. But yet people treat it common like it's part of their everyday bills. And they're like, well, I just don't have time to do that this year. They're treating it like filthy mammon, you know, they're treating it common when it's something that God says is holy and then they wonder why their lives are, are not going the direction that it should or things are not working out or you know, they're not having the favor and the blessing and the abundance. It's because you're treating common something that's holy, right? But what the tide does, one of the things we talked about is what the tide does is he will rebuke the devourer for your sake but he also says this, when you tithe, I will open up the windows and the doors of heaven. The windows of heaven. And so what you see is, what's a window good for? A window is good to look out, right? And you see in the tithe that what happens with the tithe is, he lets you see the vision, the plan that God has for you to give you a future and a hope. And he opens up the doors of opportunities for you to walk walk through but if we're not tithing then what's going to happen is we won't see God's good plans and we won't have doors of opportunity to walk through because we won't even know that there is an opportunity because we can't see it and then one of the things that most people think is that when they when they tithe God's just going to like open up heaven over their house and all of a sudden there's going to be it's going to be like piles of money on the front porch has anybody ever just had piles of money on their front porch in here? Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Why? Because that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, I'm going to open it up so that you can see differently and open up opportunities, and that's what the tithe does. And he'll rebuke the devourer. The devourer of what? He'll rebuke the devourer of the seed of that word, the seed of that vision. 
You remember over in the New Testament, Jesus gave uh, the parable of the sower. And he says, the sower sows the seed. And he says, the sower is the word. It's the vision. It's the, it's the planting of God. But then he says, the devourer comes immediately to steal the seed. So when we tithe, God says, no, I'm going to give them vision, and devil, you're not stealing it. How many things in our life have we had operating where we could have had vision, but we weren't tithing, so we don't have the vision. We don't have the word from God. Remember, he says in the New Testament, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So many times what we actually need is not another logical idea uh, from the world's point of view. We need a word from God. We need heaven's logic. We need heaven's vision. And so when we tithe, it opens up that vision. All of a sudden a word will come in and now that word we will live, have life to the full till it overflows. So when we compare that with John 10, 10. And so many times people don't have the things that they need in their life because they're not tithing so they don't have the vision or the devil's eating up every word that they're hearing on Sunday and the devourer's stealing it. But God says, when you tithe, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll beat that back. I'll, I'll break it and all of a sudden the devourer won't steal the word and I'll give you words that you, everyone you need. Think about that, if everything, if Jesus walked in here right now and said, hey, do this, this, this in the stock market tomorrow. Like if he walked in here and said to do that, how many people would do it if you knew it was Jesus? Right. Why? Because Jesus said it. He can see everything. How powerful would that word be? Man, it could change your whole financial future. Right? Just like that. That's how powerful the word is when it's spoken every Sunday, but people don't esteem it. And many times, because they're not tithing, they don't even really hear what he said. Or the devil comes along and what is said, they'll amen it, but they walk out and before they even get to their car, he stole it. That word's the same power. Every single word from, I mean, just while I've been standing up here talking, I've already given you many words. Of truth that'll set you free. Many words. So that's what the power of the tithe. But then we talked about the difference between the tithe and the offering. The offering is something that we get to choose how much and where it goes. We choose where it goes. And in the offering, that's where abundance comes. In other words, when I tithe, the words of God and the vision of God will come and God will break off the devourer. But when I give an offering over and above the tithe, understand, if I haven't given my tithe yet, I'm not operating in the offering yet. But the word says, and we're going to read it right here in 2 Corinthians 9, that when I sow, when I have the choice to give, right, then all of a sudden I move to the place and God says, I'll bring an abundance. And what's the abundance for? Is the abundance just to make your life happy? No. Does he want that? Yes. But is it just for that? No. But does he want it? Yes. He wants you, he wants you happy. He wants you full of joy. But in order to get there, we've got to move in obedience with him. And he says you'll have an abundance for every good work. Every good work. 
every good work. Do you realize that this year we're going to have opportunity to do some good work in this community? Anybody can see that and know that? We're going to have opportunity to do some good work. How many people would like to be a part of what God is going to do? But if you don't have abundance flowing already, are you going to get to be a part of it? No. You'll want to. You'll be like, oh, if I had it, I would give it. That's actually contrary to what the Bible says. He said if you won't give it when it's little, you won't give it when it's big. So if you don't give it now, if you don't purpose in your heart to be a sower, you won't have seed to sow. Because he says those who purpose to sow, they'll have seed. They'll have seed. So many times people, again, they're waiting on God, like we were talking about praise, they're waiting on God to just pour it out on them, and God's already given them the power to step into it. And and that's what we're talking about this morning, is he's given us the power to set our heart to be a sower. And when we sow in offerings, all of a sudden, here's what God says, When you give in an offering, you sow. He said, that's the place where abundance comes in. How many people would like to have abundance? How many people would like to have abundance, but not not on a worldly level, on God's level? You'd like to have abundance? He wants you to have it. If you don't understand that you're supposed to have an abundance, you've really missed the heart of God. Now, the love of money is the root of all, all evil. Not money itself, but the love of it. Did you realize you can have an abundance without loving it? Do you understand? Love in itself is not evil. It simply magnifies the heart of the person that's utilizing it. Just like a hammer, it's a, it's a very good tool unless you put it in the hands of a mass murderer. It magnifies the heart of that. But if you put a hammer in the hands of a carpenter, they can build great and mighty things. It's simply a tool. And he said, Jesus said this. Let's read this. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now this I say, that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Everyone must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hear this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Where does the abundance come from? The person who has purposed in their heart to be a cheerful and a bountiful giver. This is not talking about tither because here we have the option to choose how much and where to. This is talking about the offering. The tithe is already set how much, and the where is already set uh, to the storehouse of God or to the house of God. That's where the tithe is. But in the offering, you choose how much and where to. Now, I'll tell you, you also want to choose good soil because if it's not a fruitful soil in the kingdom of God, then you're just wasting seed. It'd be like throwing you know, throwing seed out on some really bad soil. No farmer would do that. They would find the place where it's going to produce and produce well. Well, we're not talking about just producing in the earth. We're talking about 
you know, the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he's saying here, but listen to this, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace. How much is all grace? A lot. A lot of grace. And he doesn't want to just get grace to you. He wants all grace to get to you and, and abound. Now, I want to ask you this question before we read the rest of this verse. Wouldn't God be just really rude if he didn't actually want you to have this? Why would God, who is just and righteous, put a verse like this in here if he's not actually wanting to get it to people? That would be like me calling my six-year-old up and saying, Oh, look at all these Legos and these Star Wars characters and these Transformers. Aren't they nice? And they got your name on it. Nope. Y'all would be like, that's borderline child abuse <laughs> and yet people will argue that God doesn't want to bless and yet he would put a verse by the breath of the Holy Ghost in her in here to say and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good work He's saying, look, you're called the good works, but you're not going to do it without abundance, and you're not going to have an abundance unless you learn how to be a giver and how to be a sower. You're not going to learn it. This is, we know uh, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16. If you don't understand this little thing, talking about money, talking about giving and receiving, if you don't understand how to handle your money, how will I give you the true riches? So you've got a whole church that as soon as you start talking about the offering, they're like, oh, God, I just wish you'd get to the message. Gee, please. They're not even past Christianity 101. They're expecting God, and then they go to the hospital, and they're praying God to heal something. They don't qualify. You don't qualify. You haven't even gotten over the little thing. How is God going to give you the power of heaven in your life? So many people are sitting there and they're desiring the true power of God. They're talking about how good God is, how big he is, what he can do. And, and, and then, you know, but, but this time he won't heal and, and maybe he will. Well, he's put that on you to teach you something. Or the church says, yeah, he'll do it. But then they never actually see it work. And so the world's like, we're, this great big God who loves me so much, where is he? And the church says, well, 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 well. And they make excuses because they're sitting there actually fighting the promises and the character and nature of God. God wants to pour out some of his goodness. Even Abraham, over in Galatians 3, it says this, that we are blessed with faithful Abraham. Blessed with faithful Abraham. Is that right? Anybody ever read that before? When you become born again, you are blessed with faithful Abraham. That means the blessings that he carried in his life, you, carried in, you carry in your life. But here's one of the things. Do you realize that Abraham, the Bible says, not Brian, the Bible, breathed by the Holy Spirit, Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. You think God's going to say, I want you blessed like Abraham, but not that. No, but not that. 
because you can't handle that. No, no. He's, what he's saying is, I want you to get your heart to the place where you are not given to money, and then all of a sudden I can pour an abundance in, into your life because you will do the right things with it. And if you'll get your heart right in this little thing, then I will give you the true riches of the kingdom. We've got to get our heart right in giving so that God can move us to the place of abundance. So we walk in abundance for every good thing. Boomerang Church, a house of love and prayer. Living in abundance. Is that just for us? Well, he wants us to have it, but that's not only it. It's abundance so that we can have every good work. Last year, you know, Oh, praise God. Last year, uh, you know, I, Paul and I, we traveled to the Philippines, and we had just replaced some of the mics here, and uh, we were able to take, they really needed microphones. They don't have uh, good uh, manufacturing companies like we do. They needed something quality. I mean, last year when, when I was there, the year before, I'm getting up there, and I'm trying to talk to over 600 people, and the mics are like, you know, like that. That was a really good... It was a really good interpretation of what happened. And uh, so all of a sudden, they, it was just horrible equipment. And I said, before we went, uh, I, I asked the pastor, I said, is there anything that we can do or, or bring with us or anything? They said, we really need a couple of wireless mics. Said, oh, you do. Praise God. Y'all remember, some of you remember that. I said, hey, we're going to take some wireless mics if anybody would like to sew into it. And so what we were able to do, they were switching our frequencies and we needed to get some. So we had just bought some brand new ones, but the frequencies were switching from the FCC. I think they just do that every now and then, so you have to buy new mics. And uh, because it seems like that happens a lot. And uh, Kevin's shaking his head. And so anyway, I said, all right, we'll get, we just bought some brand new ones. We'll take them, those. We'll get the ones with the frequencies we need. We take them. And then I said, but we've got some other ones sitting around too that we're not using. Let's take them off. We took seven mics with us. And uh, glory to God. They, listen to this. What did it come out of? It came out of abundance. We go over there, we open up the suitcase, start pulling mics out. Do you remember this? We start pulling mics out and handing them to this pastor. This pastor's like, and has to walk away. Because the blessing of God, it was abundance for every good work. And that's how he wants us to operate as a body. That's how he wants you to operate as an individual. And, and listen to this, I want you to know. I'm going to tell you next week how you can change everything when it comes to offering. How you can always have seed to sow. Always have seed to sow. It's a very simple thing, but I've heard almost zero teaching on it. I'm going to teach that next week. But we've got a purpose in our hearts. Lord, I know you want abundance in my life. Look, lack was a part of the curse. And you are redeemed from the curse. You're the redeemed of the Lord. There was no lack until the curse came in because of sin. Jesus dealt with sin and now curse is eradicated to those who will stand on the promise. But not everybody stands on the promise. Read this last verse here, verse 10. Remember, what are we talking about? We're talking about giving, sowing. Watch this, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower... Who supplies seed? He does. See, most people are just looking at what they have. They're not looking at what he can supply. 
They're not looking. This is over and above your budget. This is over and above your normal budget. God just brings it in supernaturally when we purpose in our heart to give. Watch this. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And hear this, increase the harvest of your righteousness. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. How many people, if they're born again, are righteous? All of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, you become a new creation in Christ. It says, and God has made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We are made righteous. Every new believer is made righteous because Jesus became unrighteousness for us when he had been righteous. So he took our unrighteousness and he gave us his righteousness. So this verse says that you will learn how to increase the harvest of your righteousness. So in other words, what it's saying is this. Just because you're righteous doesn't mean you have a harvest. And just because you have a harvest doesn't mean they're on the same level. So you see a bunch of people that have a different size harvest, and they will. And what's the determining factor of their harvest? The ones who have learned how to give and purpose in their heart how to sow. So there's a whole bunch of Christians that aren't walking in the fullness of the harvest of their righteousness because they don't understand the things of God, particularly in this scenario, how to give and purpose in their heart to be a giver. But we know how to give. We know how to walk in abundance. This people is growing up, even now, where we've had great givers in this, in this uh, church. We've had great givers in this church. Even now today, we're learning how to be even better givers. We're growing. We're stretching our faith out there. Lord, let me be even better giver. I want to become more like you. For God so loved that he gave. I want to become more like you. And what happens when you become more like him? You walk in the things that he walks in. You start increasing the harvest of your righteousness. Nicole and I get to the point. Nicole and I have, this, have had this issue. Lord, we, I, we might have given too much. Well, praise God. But guess what? He doesn't ever leave you hungry. He doesn't ever leave you without covering. He doesn't ever leave you. I, David said, I've never seen uh, the righteous people begging for bread. No, because even when they take it down to nothing, God just refills it. He just overflows it. I can't tell you how many times we've emptied a bank account. Glory to God. And guess what? Because it was never meant to be the dead seed with no outflow and everything in it dies. It was designed to have a flow of God's abundance. Then all of a sudden, we give and God fills in. We give and God fills in. Even when they had the miracle of feeding the 5,000, what happened? They took what was in their hands and they gave it. They broke it. And God said, boom, and he produced the miracle right in their hands. One would break and pass to the next one. They'd break and pass. They weren't trying to hoard it. They were saying, Lord, let us give like you give. For God so loved that he gave. Lord, whatever we have in our hands is yours. We give it to you. We're, we're purposing in our heart to be a giver. 
We're purposing, Lord, Lord, we need abundance for every good work. We want to see the good work done today, and we want to see it done in the future. We purpose in our heart to be a giver. Father, what would you have us to give? You open that up. Lord, what would you have us to give? I'm not talking about tithes. I'm talking about offerings. Over and above, what would you have us to give? See, many people, they've not broken into the fullness that God has for them because, man, as soon as you talk about money, it just like... I mean, in here, it's different because you have learned the word and people have chosen to be givers. But this is one of those areas that if you don't break through this, you're not going to move to the real power of God. And so they're not going to see the light. The world's not going to see the light that it should be seeing in a body of Christ. They're not going to see the power. They're not going to see the healing. They're not going to see the miracles because we've, we've stopped right at giving. God says, if you'll break through in that, I'll show you the power as well. You'll move right on into it. Why is this a thing? Because God set it up that way. I didn't set it up that way. His word set it up that way. Go read Luke 16. Lord, we want to break through. We want to walk in everything that Jesus paid for. I don't want to be short in anything. Your word says that if I bury talents, then I'm a wicked and evil servant. I'm not going to bury the potential of faith that you put inside of me. Lord, we're not going to bury the potential of the light that we could walk in because we've decided, well, I'm just going to be stingy. No, I'm going to put on you. You are a cheerful giver that even gave your son to a people that didn't deserve it. Lord, you are a cheerful and a bountiful giver. Lord, we're going to become like you, and we praise you and we worship you. Just stand on your feet. Hold your offering up. Right now, Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We give you all of the glory. Thank you, Father, for it. And when you sow, you, you should not just sow and be like, well, that money's gone. No, that money's not gold. That money is planted, and there's as long as the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest remain. Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. Blessing be on it, Father. Online, they can go to givebc.org. Father, we just thank you. Just hold that offering up in faith. Father, we receive. This is seed sown. And Lord, we receive it today. We thank you for it. Lord, bless it. Pour it out. Father, we thank you. Let it be multiplied, pressed down, shaken together. Lord, let their finances kickstart this year. Let this year be different from any other year they've ever had before. Father, let them move into abundance. Let them move into abundance for every good work. Lord, let them move to the place where they have broken the bondage of lack in their lives forever. Lord, even if they didn't come prepared to give, they can take that envelope that we gave them and give it back, and they, it, they can jumpstart something. They can kickstart it. Lord, let it be a year of breakthrough, of our breakthrough, Lord. Lord moving to abundance in Jesus' name. Praise God. Now just bring your seed, and when you put it in that basket, let's put it in in faith. Lord, bring your supernatural multiplication to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. And let's be quickly seated and jump in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Shufu Frenga Amoso Bobrelo. Blelo Dudu Namase. Make it a noble. 
Praise God. They got the AC fixed this year. Or this, well, this year, yeah, amen. <laughs> they got the AC fixed. It was kicking up there high for some reason. At least I believe it's fixed. Did they get it fixed? Hallelujah. He gave me the thumbs up. That's awesome. Everybody's formed this habit of as soon as the offering's over, everybody runs to the bathroom now. So now I feel like waiting until everybody gets back in here before I start. It's a, it's a funny business. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Lord, thank you for bringing breakthrough. Thank you, Father, for bringing breakthrough. Thank you, Father, for bringing breakthrough in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for bringing breakthrough in every way. Thank you for your anointing that breaks the yoke. Lord, I just declare right now, a year like no other in Jesus' name. A year like no other. A year like no other. A year like no other in Jesus' name. A year like no other. Lord, I see things flowing, flowing like they've never flowed before. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A year like no other. New levels for you. I see promotions in the spirit. I see, I see promotion in the spirit. I see you operating on different levels of faith, different levels of hope, different levels of life. I see an overflow in the abundance of life this year. You're thinking, you just look at things different. I see it more heavenly, more heavenly than it's ever been. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. So, we've been talking about <laughs> the spirit hands. Amen. Bless you. You're welcome. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's good to, uh, to just wait on the Lord. <laughs> Nicole said, and everybody that went to the bathroom. You should do a search in the Bible, yeah, period. <laughs> you should you should you should do a search in the Bible on joy and how many times he says joy. Yeah. I say these things that your joy might be full. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You should I mean joy is all over you know, all over, all over the word. Matter of fact, every time he says the word hope. Hope carries with it joyful, confident expectation. It's joy. It's a joy. Every time he says hope, it's a joy, right? An overflowing joy, an abundance of joy. And uh, man, haven't you seen it where church is just like the, I mean, everybody seems like they sucked on a, a, a not right persimmon, you know? See, I'm in the place where people understand that reference. If I said that up in New Hampshire, I don't think it would fly. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've ever taken a bite out of a persimmon that uh, is not right, you would know what I'm talking about. It's like, whoa, I mean, it is bitter. And many times the church has looked like that, and no joy can flow. No joy can flow. 
You thought persimmon was a, that's the main in you. <laughs> it's a fruit. They make pudding out of it. It's really good if somebody knows what they're doing. If they don't know what they're doing, eat carefully. <laughs> yeah. How much? <laughs> but we're supposed to flow in the joy of the Lord. And that's one of the things. There was a recent, uh, it was recent, it was probably 10 years ago, but that's recent enough in the church. It says, it says this, you know, where's a place that love is missing the most? And the answer was the church. What's the number one thing not in the church? And it was love. Many times the church is not carrying the love. It's not carrying the joy. It's not carrying the power that it's supposed to be carrying. And when that happens, it ceases to be and fulfill its calling. And so one of the things that's very important in we're, as we're looking at this is church is the linchpin of our age. It's the linchpin of our age. So what is a linchpin? Some people know what that is. Some people don't. Uh, it could also be like a key log. If you've ever seen a, a log jam, you, there's generally one log that if you'll remove that, the rest of them will flow down the river. A linchpin is something that holds it all together. And that's what the church is. Do y'all have that video ready for the linchpin? Go ahead and play that. And I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this uh, as this this puzzle has a linchpin. And this is what the church is. It holds it all together. But if you remove that one linchpin, it all just falls apart. Biblically speaking, the church is that linchpin of this age. And I will, I will show you scriptures of that. But we've got to look at what is church. So in 2008, the Lord told us to start the church. He told us to you know, start the church for me to be the pastor of Boomerang. And we started it in our house. And I told you early, earlier, uh, you know, I thought I knew what church was. And then it was about, I have it written down. In 2015, we got into a series, and in the middle of that series, the Holy Spirit asked me this question, why do you do church the way that you do? Why do you do church the way that you do? And what I found was I did church the way that I did because I'd been taught to do church that way. I, I, I started at 11. Why? Because everybody started at 11 at that time. Now, that's not the way it is today, but at that time it was. Everybody started at 11. You know, today we start at 10.30. Uh, we may change that. Might change it really soon. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm praying over something. And uh, so uh, we've got to learn how to flow with things. But also the biggest thing is flow with the spirit. See, the mindset on the flesh, the soul, the mind, will, and emotions on the fleshly things is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So what the Lord was doing was he was saying, why do you do church the way that you do? And, and I had some answers for him, but I knew as I was answering them, these aren't the right answers. I might as well just be quiet. Because what I needed to do was get back in the Bible and find out what the church was. And when, as I did it, I really had some revelations. And I found out we've been doing church wrong. Who? Boomerang? Well, yeah, we were, but so was most everybody else I know doing church wrong. Why? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. 
But the church, what I found out is it's the linchpin. You know, over one of the things that happened when we moved up to this area, the Lord told me to start a media company. And in the media company, I started developing websites. And, and uh, if you develop websites, you very quickly become a graphic designer. And if you're a graphic designer, then you create logos. And before, if you're creating logos, you're also going to be asked to find printers. And all of a sudden, you're not only a web developer, but you're a printer. Uh, you're a logo designer. You're a graphic designer. You edit videos. Uh, you also uh, help people with their computer problems because they're the only one who kn they know. You're the only one that they know that knows as much about computers as, as you do. And so all of a sudden, you know, I was like this go-to guy for technical stuff, right? Is that right, Doyle? <laughs> and, and you ever have people call you and ask you questions? Just yesterday. Greg, you ever have people call me all the time? These are technical guys. And uh, all the, I shouldn't have said that out loud. I am so sorry to you guys. <laughs> I am so sorry. I, I just, oops. And um, so... Maybe they won't call me. <laughs> All right. So anyway, but one of the things is I'll be, <laughs> that wasn't planned, but I'll take it as new life from the Holy Ghost. Amen. And uh, one of the things that will happen is you'll be working and do something on a computer and you'll do a little shortcut, right? And, and, you know, the person that's sitting by you that would handle all the computer problems with a hammer, um, they see you do that shortcut and go, oh, what did you do? How did you do that? And it's like, oh, you just do this. You did what? And, and you just, you know, you show them the little keyboard shortcut or whatever. But it's like, I didn't know it could do that. You know, and all of a sudden their whole computer world just got flipped on its ear in a very good way. And, and it's awesome. And it's like, and, and you feel important and special because it's like, hey, I knew, I knew that. I knew that. And, uh, but... See, that's the, what if we get into the Bible and we find out, oh, church can do that? What? I didn't know it could do that. I didn't know it was supposed to do that. Then all of a sudden what happens with the computer is it's like a whole new world and, and time that they used to spend hours on it can be cut down to minutes because they found a tool that they didn't know was there. It can be the same way with church. It, how important is it that we know what church is and how it's supposed to function? How important is it that we know uh, what we should do with it and what church can actually do? How important is church to God? And this is what we covered. What can it do for us? This is what we covered in the very first week, and I'll just I'll review them very quickly. How important is church to God? Well, here's, here's number one. You know, because this is an important question because some people are like, well, I love Jesus, but I hate church. It's hard to love Jesus and hate church because Jesus gave his life for the church. He gave his life for the church. Well, they're so hypocritical. I know he gave his life for those hypocrites so that they could grow out of that. It's not that they're there yet. That's why they need church. <laughs> that, that's why they need to be there is when they're hypocritical that they learn what the hypocritical way is and grow to the place where they're not hypocritical anymore. But by definition, that means you're going to have some hypocrites there. But that didn't keep you, you know, the hypocrites didn't keep you away from the Panthers game <laughs> or the movie theater. 
You like that? <laughs> you know, it's a funny, or the grocery store. I mean, they're there too, maybe worse. At least in church, they're trying, or should be. Maybe they're not trying yet, but maybe they will, right? So, like, your statement that hypocrites keep you out of church is hypocritical in itself. (laughs) I'm just messing, like, and she knows it, but. So I, I literally, you know, a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know this. I was reminded yesterday as Nicole told some of her testimony up there, but, you know, I saw hypocrisy firsthand as a pastor's kid when my dad and my mom decided to get separated and get divorced. And I literally saw one person who loved us so much on Saturday. Then Sunday was the announcement that he was stepping out of the church. And the very next week, that same person who loved us, I literally saw them look at us and go and turn around and turn their back on us out in public. Like we saw them, they saw us and went like this. Now, I remember sitting going, why is that? What what just happened? Like that's by our family. What's going on? And I'm a 14-year-old boy who sees that kind of hypocrisy. I don't know what to do with it, but I can tell you it grew in me. And caused me to be offended and not go to church for a while. And, and now, but look, I, here, here's the thing. Don't, don't necessarily, yeah, that person shouldn't have acted that way. But, but listen to this. What were they facing? You know, if you've ever been a child in divorce, then one of the things you see is you see, you see two parents that you love both of them. Which one are you supposed to love? I don't even know how to act. What do I say? That person didn't, I, I got mercy on that person, and yeah, they might not have supposed to have acted like that, but, but what are they going to say? You know, oh, I love you, but I hate the other one? That's not godly. But that's how people want them to act in that way. I mean, what, that pressure, they should have never been in that situation. My parents should have never put them in that position, right? I got mercy on that person. Yeah, they, they might not have chosen the right way, but... But anyway, that hypocrisy went on, and I can remember years later, 10 years later or something, once Nicole and I met, we started dating, I can remember going into a church after having not been there for so, and and I can remember just about to bust to get out of there because of hypocrites. Like it just, oh man, you talk about in in a fury on the inside. I was like, all I saw, I just looked around, and all I saw was hypocrites in the church. Hypocritical hypocrites putting on religion well i hate religion today and that's got something to do with it but that's actually a it's a good thing to hate the spirit of religion because jesus isn't in that he wants reality he wants intimacy he wants these things but that i had an uh, older gentleman walk up to me and i was talking about i just hate hypocrites and he said he said this now the the logic of this is not entirely sound but i got the point he said if you let a hypocrite come between you and God. That just means that the hypocrite is closer to God than you are. And I was like, oh. <laughs> here's your knife back. And, uh, uh, you know, but I call, I was, and basically this, this is what he's saying. Just because one person does something wrong, never in the Bible does that give you a license to also do wrong. 
And so, yeah, the church is going to have people that are growing and hypocritical, but that doesn't mean and give me a reason to just dodge what God said. Uh, how important is church to God? Yeah, you might not like the way the church has gone or the structure, or even the people that are there, but God gave his son for the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. For the church. And then he says, how important is church to God? He said, we are commanded not to neglect it or abandon it. He says, don't abandon it. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. And, and this is what I want you to do today. I want you just to listen. All these notes, you can go to bcnotes.org. They're all there. You can pull them up. Go back and look at them later. Today, I just want you to listen. I want you to hear this. Listen to this. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, New Living. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Or let us not abandon church, our meeting together. As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In other words, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we should encourage people. We got to get together at church. We got to be there. You got to be there. Hey, we got to get together. Let us encourage each other to do the good work. No, you got to forgive that person. You can't hold on to that. I, well, that I didn't. I don't like that person. I, but it doesn't matter. Christ died. Christ died for you to be able to overcome that unforgiveness, to overcome that offense. Christ died for that, to encourage one another, and even more as it goes forward. And God's saying, look, church is important. These relationships, they are huge. And yet, what have we seen as Christ's return draws near? We've actually seen more and more people dwindling away. And most of us have all been guilty of that. Now, you're here this morning. Praise God. Yay. But, but here's the thing. We've got to say, okay, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And if we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But we've got to not neglect it. We can't abandon that. How important is church to God? Well, he tells us in Psalms 92 that when you are planted in the house of the Lord, you will flourish. Many people are not flourishing in life because they're not really planted. They may even go to church, but there's a difference between going to church, laying a seed laying on top of a field, and a seed giving itself to the ground and its flesh to die and being planted. There's a total difference. I can throw seed into the field, but if it doesn't give itself to the ground and, and plant itself, it won't flourish. We have to plant ourselves where God is placed us. And 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says that God chooses that placement. Now listen to this. God chooses the placement. Most people are going around church shopping today. We've turned church into a merchandising. Well, I like the way he preaches. That's got nothing to do with it. Well, I didn't like it when he said this. I didn't find the scripture that God cares.
I, there's not a scripture that says it. He says, I'll place the, let me read it to you. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he, he desires. Well, they, they, you know, they have a great children's program. Well, that's great. Look, we, we aspire to have the best children's program within 100 miles of here. I mean, this is, this is what we're looking for. We want to have a good children's program, but whether you think that we do or not has nothing to do where, with God has placed you. That You've you got to understand that, that that's not, well, my kids like it. Oh, well, I guess your kids supersede God's placement. That's not biblical. And see, people are, are they're, 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 they're slopping all over the ground like a fish out of water. Because they don't know what the word has said. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been reminded recently of Jesus' words that says, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. People are floundering in life because they don't know what God has said. God chooses the placement. Our job is to say, God, where do you want me? And then go plant ourselves in a full covenant, the seed and the ground, so that we can flourish together. And one planting will bless another. And that planting will bless another. And that planting will bless another. And, and this is the design of God. How important is church? It's got everything to do with us flourishing. Because if we are to flourish in this world, we're supposed to be the light and the salt. But if you lose your savor, then what good is it? And how are you going to be salty? How are you going to be glowing full with the glory of God if you're not flourishing in the things he's already told us to do. It's got everything to do with our success in bringing the world to Christ, which is what it's all about. This world is not about you having a good retirement or a beach house or a mountain house or a cool car. It's about Jesus. We've got a period of time where we can win people to the Lord. Praise God. Last year, 2,592 commitments to Christ last year out of this ministry. Glory to God. And this year will be greater. 2,592 commitments to Christ. Most churches win less than two a year. That's an awesome number. But it's also short-sighted. We, we should get even better at what we do. We should see this place filled. I want to see in 2020, I want to see every place filled and bring it in chairs. Can you see it? Can you see that? That we're making a difference on a whole nother level. But we can't flourish if we won't go after God the way that he told us to go after him. He also says his ways are holy. So see, if I take that holy thing, but I don't do it his way, then I'm treating his holy things as common. See, our only choice in the matter is to be obedient to his placement. He's basically saying church is so important to God. He's basically saying, I'll choose where you should be. Hear that. Because if you chose, you'd probably miss it and mess it up. I'll choose it. So then what we do is we say, Lord, where's our placement? Where's our place? Where's our place? And then we hear from him, and then we plant ourselves in our family that we may flourish. 
I can't tell you over the years how many times we've heard people say, well, our, our kids uh, like, this, like this one ministry. Or I literally one time we ha- had people come into the church and they said, we just love Boomerang, and, but we don't want to become members of Boomerang because if we do that, then we'll lose our, our graveyard rights uh, when we die at this other church. Like God can't give them the extra thousands of dollars to buy a plot somewhere. Well, we go here, I would love to come and visit sometime, but we've gone to this church for, you know, my family's gone here for 200 years. Well, that church is not producing any fruit either. So you're going to keep your whole family in a place for tradition's sake? That's not the word. It's not the word. Church, how important is it to God? It's where we receive full life out of the word. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God brings us life to the full in abundance. And church is the place where you hear preaching and faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word preached. By the word preached, the whole context of that passage in Romans 10 is the word that's preached. And see, there's a difference. You can have two different people that sound the exact same, say the same words, but one's carrying an anointing and one's not. And even though it's the same words, same tones, same inflections in their voice, one will give you a supernatural impartation and the one will fall flat to the ground. It can sound the same, but it's not about what it sounds like. It's about what's going out with that word. And the word that's preached with an anointing, it can change your life. This is the importance of church to God. It's where we receive full life. Church is the linchpin of this age. Matthew 5, 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Salt is a preserving factor. The church is the preserving factor in this earth. Why has World War III not broken out with all the new? Because the church is here. Because the church, it reigns on the just and the unjust. In other words, there's a whole bunch of unrighteous people that the blessing of God is preserving the earth. Why? Because the light and the salt is still in the earth. As a matter of fact, in order for the Antichrist to come and come into his full power, the thing that has to be removed is the church because they are the linchpin. They're the linchpin. It says this, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This this light that we have uh, in Christ, it's not meant to stay in this room. It's meant to be shown throughout the community, throughout the state, throughout the nation, throughout the world. It's meant to be shown. He, He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. God wants to light you up with his glory and set you on a hill so that his goodness can be seen. He wants to take you through when the devil tries to attack so that the testimony will draw somebody else near. 
He wants to save you as well, but he'll utilize that testimony. He'll say, look, you're a light. God will see you through. God will take you to the high places. He doesn't want to just save you and then like nobody ever see it. No, he wants you to be seen. He wants his goodness. Why? Because it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. This is all done in the church. He says, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Then Now this is a command from Jesus. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, I don't want my good works to be seen. That's not what that says. It's, it's a different heart. There's one person that says who wants to be known for what they do. There's another person that says, Lord, I don't want anything you paid for to go into the ground and produce nothing, to fall to the ground and, and die and produce nothing. Everything you paid for on that cross, I want to receive it and live it because if you paid for it, I'm going to honor and esteem it. And in the process, your goodness is going to produce a glory in my life. And that glory is designed to be seen. It's designed to be seen. This is, this is in 1 Timothy, it says this. 1 Timothy, it talks about that we are a pillar. We're a pillar of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Listen to this, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So if you dismantle the church, then you kick out the pillar of truth and the bondage falls on everything. It's the pillar of truth. And let, let me just, let me give you this. As the definition of church, if we don't stand as a pillar for truth, then by definition, we're not the church. You've got major denominations today that are not standing for the truth. And by definition, they've ceased to be the church. Do you see that? Now, we're believing that, that, that that'll change. They're not, they're not standing up for marriage between a man and a woman. They're, not, they're, they're letting all of these, they're not standing up for the unborn lives and the wombs of the mother. This is ungodly stuff. This is not just Democrat and Republican. No, no, no. This is ungodly, cursed death, and we're supposed to be the, the light. We're supposed to be the pillar of truth. And if, if you kick out that pillar, you kick out that truth, then you cease to be, by definition, what you're supposed to be. So how important is, is church to God? Jesus gave his life for it. He commanded us not to abandon it. Uh, he, he chose, he said, this church is the place where you will be planted and flourish. He says, I'll choose your placement in it because it's so important. In church, you'll receive fullness of life. Church is the linchpin of this age, the pillar of truth. But what is it? What does God say it is? Because it's important. How many people you would, if you define church, you could come up with some words, but do we actually know what the Bible says about it? And, and do we know what God says about it? Because 
humility, true humility is not what you think or I think or me, you know, backing, all, uh, backing off of just what I think. True humility is saying, God, what do you think about this? That's what true humility is. In other words, you, you could say that true humility is just being very sheepish and, and I don't want to cause any trouble and I don't want to cause any waves and ripple. Then you would say that Jesus missed it because Jesus caused waves. He was a light. And to those that were hungry for the things of God, he was, a, he was a savior and a messiah. But for those who were standing for themselves and for power and money and the love of that stuff, all of a sudden, he was a thorn in their side. And I mean, to the Pharisees, the very ones who represented God to the people, he said, you whitewashed tombs. He calls waves. He was a pillar of truth. It's important to know. In other words, some people think that humility is, is being quiet and, and, and just sheepish only. No, 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 no. He was also the lion of the tribe of Judah. you you got to say, it was the same humility to be quiet on the cross. It was the same humility to fashion a whip that drove out the money changers. Same humility. Different manifestation, but same humility. This, it's important that we understand that true humility is not uh, bowing to what we think is humility, but true humility bows to what God thinks, who is absolute love. Because if he's absolute love, then he's never going to lead us wrong. And as, as with childlike faith, we can grab a hold of that. So true humility in what is church is not how you were taught that church was or what you think it looks like. True humility is going back to the word and saying, this is what church is. But why? Because God says it. Same thing with marriage. Same thing with abortion. You know, it's going back to the word and saying, this is what it is. He, listen, you got to understand. He's very clear about homosexuality. He's very clear. It's an abomination. It's an abomination to God. He, he does not change. Now you have to understand. You have to understand. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. And it doesn't mean that we are supposed to stand up and fight people over that. We fight the thing that would hold them in bondage because, and, and these are the figures that people don't release and they don't really know about is that when people have given themselves to a life that God calls an abomination, they, the reason he calls it abomination is because it deteriorates and destroys those lives. And see, if we're going to be the church, then we have to be a pillar to, of truth. Now, I mean, how many times have you heard me preach or teach on that? Not, not that many, but when it's time to talk about it, it's time to talk about it. It's a, we're a pillar of truth, not a pillar of let's make everybody happy. There's a big difference between that. It's not accepting everything. No, there's a lot of things that God tells us in humility. We are not to accept. We're not to accept. Why? Because it leads to a death and destruction. The mindset on the flesh is death. God doesn't want death for people that are in bondage. He wants life for them, but the only way to get life for them is to get them out of that bondage. You know, I can sit on the edge of a pit with somebody in a pit, and I can whisper sweet nothings to them, but ultimately that, that can be nice uh, for a little while, but it doesn't get them out of the pit. They're going to wither and die in that place. Things are go not going to be at the fullness of life, that, the abundance that God wants them 
to be. We, humility is saying, Lord, what do you say that it is? What do you say? That's what humility is. It's not, it's not bending. You know, it, it's amazing to me watching today. You watch on social media and people will say, you know, tolerance and this and that until you disagree with them. And then it's like the exact opposites of tolerance. Like, I mean, like, the claws come out. <laughs> Many of them are. Many of them have demonic influence in their life. People don't want to talk about that, but demons are real. If you haven't dealt with them, just wait. You're going to see more. Just look at some of the videos, you know, over elections, how people respond. That's not normal human behavior. It's supernatural. There's supernatural passions that are being pressed on people, and they're feeling the pressure, and so they respond in that way. And, and most of the church doesn't even know how to recognize that, discern that, or especially how to deal with it, and yet we're supposed to be the ones that are dealing with it, the hands and feet of Christ. But they won't, they won't be honest with themselves and humble enough to see what's actually going on. And so if they won't know what's going on, how in the world are they going to handle it? How can they handle something that they won't even uh, be humble enough to the Word and to Scripture to recognize? It's a bondage. And we're called to be the light and be the salt, the preserving factor. What is church? Let me just give you this. Church is a family and a fellowship. It's a living organism, not just an organization. I watch people, you know, in, in behind closed doors, boardrooms of churches, stuff like that. I'm amazed at how many churches are run just like a business. It's not a business. It's a living organism. And you can feel it. You can feel the difference. When a church is an organization versus a living organism, there's a different feel to it. It's a di it's, there's something different about it. It's a family and a fellowship. Just First uh, John one seven, fellowship with one another. Acts two forty two, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And because of that, everyone kept feeling. Listen to this: a sense of awe and many wonders and signs because of the fellowship. Hebrews 2.11, this is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Uh, in the uh, CEV translation, Jesus and the people he makes holy all belong to the same family. Matthew 12.46-50, while he's still speaking to the crowd, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said, behold, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered, the one who was telling him and said, who's my mother and my brothers? And stretching out his hands to the disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Church is a family and a fellowship. It's a family and a fellowship. It's not just an organization. It's not just a business. That's why I'm not trying to get up here and just follow a script every Sunday. Do you know how many breakthroughs we've had because we were a family and a fellowship and not just a follower of a script? 
I can't tell you how many times I've thrown. I'm preaching this message. I started this a month and a half ago. I started it one Sunday. I meant to finish it that Sunday. But then it didn't, and so I meant to finish it the next Sunday. But the next Sunday I came in, the Lord said, don't preach that. Preach this. And it helps somebody. I, next Sunday, and all of a sudden, we're like a month and a half later. I've preached a whole bunch of stuff in between now and then, but it wasn't the message I was trying to finish. Why? Because it's a family and a fellowship, not just an organization. And listen, you know, some people can say, and because this is very important, very, what are we taking our humility from? From the word, from God, what are we learning from? People can say, well, my family is more important. Blood is thicker than water, right? Yeah, blood is very important. Your blood that's running through your veins from your family, uh, from your physical family, it will keep you alive for 120 years. But the blood of Jesus will keep you alive for an eternity. There's a blood that's greater, that has no corruption in it. I received a corrupted blood from my father and mother, but I received a perfect blood from Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus can say, yeah, I got, I got, I've seen so many people that get completely sidetracked in their life because they won't let go. They won't let go of the blood of their family to move into what God is telling them to do. Matter of fact, the church you're sitting in right now is because, uh, and alive, and here, and lives are being changed. Last year, 2,592 souls committed to the Lord. Why? Because when our family said, don't go, we said, we've got to listen to God. And now the family comes back and says, we know that you heard right. Now, we knew that we knew that we knew that we knew that we knew and we had confirmation multiple places that God had spoken to us. You shouldn't just jump out there and do something you own a whim. you got to know that you know that you know. And we had those confirmations uh, from our spiritual leaders and, and from ourselves and in our heart. He says, I'll write these things, the peace of God on your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Colossians 3.15. But one of the things was, our family was sitting there, no, don't go, don't go. And we were like, no, we've got to. God's told us to do it. Church is a family. And our family, I found that this verse right here with Jesus, one of the things I found is, I found this to be so true in the last 11 years. Because truly, there have been times where we needed our physical family, but they weren't there. But you know who was here? This family right here. You know who was, who was traveling with us on this road of faith? These, you guys right here. Who, who was it that we wanted to hang around because you were hungry for the things of God? Our family wasn't always hungry for the things of God. But, but the people that have been here, they were our brothers and our sisters. It's a family and a fellowship. And we're going after God together. They, I've so many times seen the people that I'm preaching to more hungry than our physical family has been. Many times. God said, those are the kind of people, Jesus is saying, those are the kind of people, the one who are after the will of God, they'll become a family on a different level, a spiritual family. Church is a family and a fellowship, a pillar of truth. I read you that, that the church of the living God, 1 Timothy 3.15, the pillar and the support of truth. But you got to understand this, a church is a pillar of truth. But listen, what is that truth? You will continue in my word. If you continue in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
The pillar of truth, a church is a pillar if it's founded on the Word, on the Bible. Do you know you have even churches today that are saying this book is outdated, we don't need it anymore? It is the Word of God inspired by the Holy Ghost. And our job is to humble ourselves to it, not humble ourselves to a progressive thinking. We, it is not outdated. Matter of fact, it is very much relevant, very much alive. Just ask the people who have seen a miracle in their body, who've seen a miracle in their finances, who've felt the weight of the world lift off. Just yesterday, we're praying for people. Power of God's hitting people. And you can feel the weight of the world falling off and the life of God coming in. This one guy couldn't stand it. He just, he just started jumping. I was like, man, run if you got to. Why? Because the, the weight of the world, the freedom of Jesus Christ came in. And it was so real. Why? Because it's founded on the Word. Not founded on what I think or what we think. Founded on the Word. See, if you cease to be founded on the Word of God, the inerrant Scripture of God, you cease to be a pillar of truth, and by definition, you cease to be the church. You can't be a church and not be founded on the Word. <laughs> Lisa said, sure can't. <laughs> you can't. It's not possible. One of the things that I've loved so much recently is... is Phil's been asking me questions, and, and, and he, he's been in church for a long time, but God drew him and his family. Now, I want you to see this testimony, though. We've talked about it before. The reason why he came in the first time is because it was obvious the power of God was touching his family. Is that right? And, all, and he couldn't deny it. He's like, I can't deny Jesus is touching my family. I can't deny it. There's things I never thought I'd see, that kind of thinking, those kind of thoughts. All of a sudden, that power of God and that freedom said, i got to go find out what's going on. Well, he comes in, and, and our theology and where he was coming from, they're, they're not the same. <laughs> they're not the same. But he started seeing, and, and, but here's what I love. Most people in that situation, they're like, well, I just don't know about that. I've been taught differently. That's not, you know, this and that and everything else. They find every reason to run instead of be humble. But I love what he did. And he's continued to do it. That's why he was asking me about women in ministry. That's why I'm going to answer that question at lunch. It is because he goes, he goes, what is it? I, I want to know. I said, well, and, and I think I mentioned it to him. I was like, you got to understand that I'm not going to give you something just because I think it. We're going to go back to that Bible. Right. And I'm going to give you the Bible. And, and I'm not saying that everything's going to be lined out perfectly for you. You're going to have to see some things. You're going to have to, with childlike faith, believe some things. But it's going to be based on that word. And as I took him to the word, he didn't sit there and find reasons to argue with it. He found reasons to believe in the goodness of God. And all of a sudden, I mean, I, you could see it. The light started popping. Boop, 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 boop. And, and it's like, and, and now where life has been limited... He's seeing it in a different way, like all of a sudden. And it all comes from humility, and the Bible talks about that. When you move into places of humility, grace and greater grace is given. He's starting to walk into places of God's grace because he said, Lord, I humble myself to what you said in your word. All, my job is not to convince them of God's word, but simply shine the light on what's already written. And that's what I've sought to do. 
And he's had some pointed questions, some really good ones. Some ones that, you know, I got the message, I'm like, whew, uh, whew, I better pray about this, <laughs> you know? I mean, I've answered them before, but it might have been a few years, you know, and I need to refresh myself on them. But he humbled himself. See, when we humble ourselves to the things of God, all of a sudden truth will be upheld and it will hold back the bondage. But it's got to be founded on the word. Church is a family and a fellowship. It's a pillar of truth. Church is, hear this, ecclesia. This is one of the biggest points right here. Church is ecclesia. And you may say, the what a seal? The what did you say? Ecclesia is a Greek word that was originally from the Greek culture, but the Romans really grabbed a hold of it. It was, it was a name for a group of people. Uh, and the Greeks had it, but the Romans really grabbed a hold of it and integrated it in their culture. And it's in the period of the time of the Romans that Jesus used that word, and he's called the church. The first, listen, the first time church is ever mentioned in the New Testament is right here in Matthew 16, and the Greek word there is ekklesia. It's a Roman term, not a Hebrew one, which is very interesting because Jesus is saying, I'm not even going to give you a Hebrew term for this. I'm going to give you something that's in today's society that you can relate to. And, and when he uses that, he defines what church is. So listen to this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And, and some, they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So he says, first, who do people say that I am? Listen, it's important for you to know what people say about Jesus, about church, about God, and his way. It's important for you to know. But what's even more important is, what do you say? Because if you just believe that he's your savior to go to heaven, then all you'll ever have is a savior to go to heaven. But if you believe that he's your healer, then he'll also be your healer because he's provided for it. If you believe that he's your provider, he'll be your provider. If you believe that he's your protector, he'll be your protector. If you believe that he is the savior who saves you from whatever you need saving from, he will be that. So it's a very important point that Jesus is asking. Who do people say that I am? Well, okay. Who do you say? that I am. Who do you say? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now when he was saying that, Christ is not just Jesus' last name. Christ means this, you are the anointed one of God. But it also means this, it carries with it this thinking too. You're not just the anointed promised one of God, but you are that anointing for me. You are the anointed one and his anointing. So Jesus said, "You look, who do you say? You're the Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. You're the son of the living God. In other words, you're the one who's promised for me. You're the one who carries an anointing that can set me free. You're the one who has every answer I'm ever going to need. You're the one for me. Man, that all rhymed. That was awesome. I couldn't do that again if I tried. You're the Christ, the anointed one, 
and his anointing for me. You're the one of God. You're the promise. And what he's saying is, and I receive the fullness of that promise in my life right now. He says this. He says, you're the Christ, the anointed one in his anointing. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Upon this rock. Upon what rock? It's the bedrock principle that you are the anointed one of God. I will build my church on this. In other words, when the church receives the anointing of God and operates and flows in that anointing, he says, I will, I will build my church on that rock. So you've got a whole lot of people. Listen, what is church? You've got people trying to build church on, on good teaching, good preaching, tickling ears. It's not to be built on that. It's to be built on the anointed one and his anointing. And people receiving that for themselves. Listen. Without the anointing, you don't have church. Without the power of God, you don't have church. Without the Holy Ghost in manifestation, you don't have church. So when, when you start preaching that the gifts have ceased, you're taking away church. Now that's controversial if you don't know the spirit of religion. Okay. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not overpower it. See, many churches are being overpowered by hell because they're not built on the foundation that you're my Christ. You're the, you're the son of the living God. You're the anointed one in his anointing. They're not living there. They're living on logical teaching. They're living on soulish things, the mind, will, and emotion. They're trying to live there. They're trying to move everything from there. Listen, if good teaching was going to save the world, it would have done did it. Go on YouTube. There's a whole bunch of it today. I mean, there is some great teaching. It's not just the teaching. It's the anointing that comes through teaching. It comes through preaching. It comes through healing. It comes through the word. It comes through ministry. It's the anointing of God. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing. And who is the one who brings that anointing but Jesus? He's the anointed one and the, his anointing. And so then he says, look, this is on this rock. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was the Christ. Look, it's not time yet. It's coming for you to release this. But what I, the reason I left this verse in here is I want you to see that the common theme from the top to the bottom was the anointed one. That was the rock. That was the power. But now, right here where he says the word church, the first time in the New Testament the word church is actually spoken of and the word that Jesus used was not a Hebrew word, but a Roman word called ecclesia. Well, then you've got to say, all right, if Jesus, why would he use a Greek word that the Romans utilized this concept? Why would he use that to describe the church? 
And then you think back about scripture that says this, that Jesus came in the fullness of time. In other words, when Rome came in, all other countries would go in, they'd capture a territory, grab everybody as slaves, and take them back to their homes. But when Rome came in, they'd come in, capture the territory, and say, y'all stay there, do what you do best, and we will send an ambassador to oversee you. Ecclesia is a Roman term that in this, the Roman kingdom was set up very much like the kingdom of God, where God would not just go and win a country and then take them straight to heaven. This was the period of time in this time before Jesus returned. He would set up ambassadors over in 2 Corinthians 5. Now you are the ambassadors of Christ. In other words, they will be in this world, but not of this world, but they would oversee an area and a territory, set up rule and dominion, and they would say, okay, we're going to take these resources and we're going to apply them here. We're going to take these resources, we're going to set up the rule and the government of what? Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. An ambassador who declares this is the way it's going to be. So if you were in that territory, they would basically say this. Look, you're living in Israel, but you are under Roman rule. It's Rome's government, Rome's rules, Rome's laws. And that's the way we are to operate as Christians in this new covenant. Look, we may be in this world, but we're not of it. We don't operate by those things. We operate by the redemption of Jesus Christ, the blessing of heaven. It's declared, let your will be done. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. And our job is to come in and bring the light of God's goodness, set it up on a hill for all to see how good God is because the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Now this word, ecclesia, let me give you the definition. I just gave you where it, the setup. Ecclesia is this, a group of citizens called out from their homes to gather together to set rule and government over their area. Listen again. A group of citizens called out from their homes to gather together to set rule and government over their area. So number one, ecclesia, church, a group of citizens, not a mixture. Ecclesia was not a group of Roman citizens and non-Roman citizens. It was a group of citizens. So now let's look at today's church. What is everybody trying to do in the American church for the most part? Let's bring in all the non-citizens and let's entertain them. It's not church. It's not, it's design, the whole design was for us to go and win souls and then once they became citizens, then they come in and in this place we set rule and government. We declare this is what will happen in our city, this is what will happen in our town. We're not going to have, we're not going to have these things just going wild, no. The kingdom of darkness must bow its knee to Jesus Christ in this area because I'm speaking for the king as an ambassador. But yet today, in most of the church models, what we're doing is trying to get all of the non-citizens, all of the unborn people to come in. And it's not bad for, for non-citizens to come in. 
but it's against the very definition biblically of what's going on. This is designed to be a gathering of citizens. And there's a purpose in it. There's a reason for it. It's a place, yes, to worship God, but it's also to set up that rule and dominion and for us to grow up together. So you see this. What is church? It's ecclesia, a group of citizens. It's not a mixture. So most people are building their church today in a mixture and don't even realize that it's contrary to the plan. It's contrary to the Bible in that way. Many, many people are like, well, we're setting up our Sunday morning service simply to win souls, to bring in the non-citizens to win souls. That's not church. But can't you see that that's happening everywhere? And that matter of fact, in our early days, that's what we planned on being and what we tried to be, but it wasn't working, which makes me really hungry to figure out why it's not working. What's going on? So I start digging. Why do you do church the way that you do? I'm not sure. Let me go find out. And then I find out it's not meant to be a mixture. It's meant to be citizens. It's, not, it's great if souls get saved in here, and they absolutely should. But it, the church is not built around that. The church is built on the anointing and people gathering that anointing and taking it outside and winning people to the, to the Lord one-on-one. Church in itself, a, a group of citizens, listen, called out together, called out from their homes. Listen, by definition, you can't have church by yourself in your home. Right. You can't. By definition, you can't have church. Well, I can just have church by myself out here in the woods. Uh, no, you can't. Because that's not the definition. By the Bible. That Jesus is supposed to be your Lord. No, you can't. You can have some fellowship with God, but it's not church. And he says, don't neglect church. Don't neglect that gathering together. Don't neglect that. You've got to see that as a responsibility to be there. Citizens called out together, and they set the rule, the laws, and the government over an area. Our job is supposed to be walking in the things of God so that when we get here in prayer, we start declaring a thing over this city, over this county. No, no, that, that company cannot shut down, Lord, right. in Jesus' name. We will not let the enemy destroy all of those jobs. We right. will not let the enemy take over and start setting ungodly rule in our government. No, we'll stand up and we will pray. Let the kingdom of God, let a godly person be that mayor. Let a godly person and be on that board of commissioners. Let godly people take it. This is what church is supposed to be. They set, Listen, they don't get dictated to what the rule is. They set the rule. They dictate it based on the word of God. That's what church is supposed to be. So we have a vision in this place that you know, within a few years, if there's anything that's done in and around this area, it, you, you got to know somebody in Boomerang. Why? Because we're actually going to live up to what church is. It doesn't mean that we, we have a grasp of everything. We're trying to control it for man's thing. No, we, you just got to understand that they, they are operating in so much authority over at Boomerang. They're operating so much, and they, they have people that are in key positions, and they know who they are. They know what God's up to in the area, that if you want something done, you need to go talk to somebody right. over there. Right. And that's not unbiblical. That's very biblical. 
Ephesians 4.16, what is the church? Listen to this. From whom, every, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Listen, every joint supplies. The church is participants, not spectators. Participants, not spectators. This is very important because what's happening, what we've done is we've marketed the church. Come to our church. We got a great show. We got great music. We got great kids. We got all this. Choose our church. We're not supposed to be choosing our church in the first place. Not only that, but if I'm just going to church to see a show and I decide not to go, then I'm the only one who misses out. But if I am what the Bible says I am, that every joint supplies, they bring their faith, they bring their worship, they bring their praise like Paul and Silas, then I'm bringing something. I'm participating in the service. And if I do not show up, then it's not just me who misses a life-giving word. It's the people sitting next to me. It, church is never designed to be a body of a mixture and just spectators. It's designed to be participants, even in prayer. Look, we need people in prayer that will say, I'm bringing my faith to prayer. I'm bringing my supply to prayer. I'm bringing myself. And, and it's a physical thing where I come out of my house and come together and say, i got to be there because if I'm not there, there could be something that's not picked up on, something that's missed. I could maybe uh, praise, put on praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. I can put on the garment of praise, and it might break open and break loose my whole section. Because I'm not just a spectator, I'm a participant. But see, people are in the deception today. They're in the deception that, well, I don't need to go. Well, first of all, you missed it where he said, don't neglect it. Number two, they think that if I don't go, then nobody, it doesn't hurt anybody. It does hurt other people. It takes away because you are bringing a supply. You are bringing this corporate faith, this corporate praise. You're bringing this corporate hope. You're bringing these things together. Church is... Participants, not just spectators. Can you see, start seeing right now, the design of the American church versus what we're actually called to be? The design of the American church to build and grow, and it does work in terms of numbers, but not in terms of obedience. Is let's bring everybody together whether they're, whether they're a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or not, and, and then let's just teach them to sit there, but they're not bringing anything. And so what, do we, what have we produced? we produced a bunch of churches that we market and get people to, to decide, hey, well, I want to go to that church. Well, I like this one. I like how he talks here. So now we choose instead of being obedient to what God has chosen. Then we say, well, I'm, I'm uncomfortable winning souls to Christ, so I'll just bring them into Sunday service. And we've turned Sunday service into all about the non-citizen when by definition it's about citizens and then we've turned it into a show where somebody can just come and watch but they have no part in it they're just a spectator and it actually goes completely against the design of God where every joint supplies they're participants every one of you even right now you're deciding even sitting in your seat whether you're going to add to your faith or you're going to think about what time it is yeah. it's true yeah. 
You're, you're going to add to and participate, or you're going to think, oh, wow, this has gone longer than I expected it to go, and now you're, you're over in that realm instead of what is God about to show me and open up to me? Which is another point. What is church? It's mature Christ-like believers. Listen, catering to the Spirit, not coddling the flesh. Not too long ago, some of you will remember this, we were in the old building. I got done, it was about 12.30, or even later than that today. If anybody is wondering, it's 105, glory to God. That's biblical, actually. Paul preached till midnight, dude fell out, then they preached till the morning. Yep. Yeah, that, this happens a lot of times. They were in hours and hours, you know. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? You know, he comes in, Ananias is dead. Three hours later, Sapphira, they're still preaching. The guy died, they took him out, they keep on. <laughs> Three hours later, Sapphira comes in. Like, we're still short. I mean, well, I'm messing with you, but there's, it, it's true. We, we, are, we are, listen, we have coddled the flesh so much, we think that's normal because we're not paying attention to the Spirit. We're more concerned with everything else but God. That's not church. Several, several years ago in the old building, I was sitting there, I got to 1230, you know, everybody has this thing. They, everybody has their own little moment, and you can see it in their eyes because all of a sudden they're like, it's like a, a robot when the power's pulled. You know, and they might not do this physically, but you can see it in their eyes. They're like, mm. yeah. And as a preacher, I have to see that more times than I like to see. And but you can see it. They just kind of shut down. And. I got there one day, and it was 12.30, and I was pretty much done preaching. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and it's like 12.30, and everybody, like everybody across the room was like, like this, you know? And I was like, okay, let me wrap this up. I pushed them too far, you know? And I heard the Holy Ghost say, it was the Holy Ghost. I I checked it. I was like, because I need to make sure. He said, keep preaching. I went, keep preaching? (laughs) Like, they're done. He said, keep preaching. I was like, I think I'm done. <laughs> he said, keep preaching. Man, did I hear that right? I'm not sure. Now, at the time, I thought, man, I have either, like, there's something I really don't know, which was the case, or imagine that. <laughs> I don't know everything. We don't know everything. That's crazy, right? I mean, that's... Keep preaching. Okay, Lord, I think that's you. I'm going to go for it. Glory to God. And so I'm like, you know, and about the time I say, turn, turn to the next book of the, you know, turn to the next book and you see everybody go, oh, see, y'all think you don't do that, but you, <laughs> you think you don't show me that, but I can see it. And, uh, and, and you learn the, you learn the, preemptive signs of that like all right in about 15 minutes they're gonna be done you know and uh, I can see it they're starting to get lose that edge you know when they're not they're like this the word the word the word the word you know and uh, but you know anyway 
You don't do that when your flesh is tired. And so I just kept preaching. And many of you remember that period of time. And it leads to days like today. And you wonder, why does he do that? Well, I kept preaching like that, kept preaching. And I knew, I found out, this is absolutely the Lord. And I went for like six months. I mean, I was preaching long. And I'd get to the end, and I could tell everybody was tired. And I'd get to the end, God say, keep going. Lord, what are you doing? And sure enough, you know, I mean, what you're doing is you're calling the flesh on the carpet. And most people are led by their flesh, so they're not going to hang around. They're not going to hang around. It's kind of like Gideon's army. Who's saying, look, I need it to get smaller so that you can get in unity. Because right now you do not have a unified force. And within a month or two of me preaching and keep preaching, it was obvious that we had not had a unified force. Because a good half of them, a chunk of them were gone. And they weren't coming back. They just, they just stopped coming. Anybody remember that? <laughs> and I thought, and see today you're experiencing some of it today. And I thought, why? Lord, why are you doing that? And it wasn't until we got over into this building that he gave me the exact words for it. I had an idea, but he said this. He said, the reason they're antsy is because they're given more to the flesh than they are to the spirit. They're not here for me. They're here to check a box. He said, and I've not called you to raise up spiritual weaklings. I've called you to raise up warriors and ambassadors for Christ that will not listen to their flesh, which is death, but to listen to their spirit, which is life and peace. And I got very comfortable with putting pressure on your flesh. But listen, you you think it's difficult for you. It's a lot more difficult with you looking at me, everybody. Like This is the harder position and the more pressure-filled position because all of you are like, it is time to eat. Does he not know? So you have to decide. The Lord said this. He said, are you going to be, you going to raise up people that are hungry? Or that they're lukewarm. You're going to raise up people that are on fire. Or that are lukewarm. You're going to raise up spiritual weaklings. Or you're going to raise up people. Who are strong in the Lord. And the power of his might. Let me read this scripture to you. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Ephesians 4.8. The point is church is mature. Mature Christ like believers. People that are not moved by their flesh. You know, it's funny because people are like, I'm hungry. It is past noon. Does he not know that it is past noon? Now it is 1230. Oh, my goodness. It is now past one. I haven't eaten this morning. I fast every Sunday morning. So if anybody's more hungry than you, it's probably me. (laughs) I'm not up here because my flesh likes it. I'm up here because we're serving God. I'm hungry, too. I've started the service hungry many times. Man, I sure am hungry. I wish the preacher would preach fast. And then I get up there, and the Lord says, you ain't preaching that. I'm like, ah, and now it's going to be a while before we go to the restaurant. Listen, the mind set on the flesh. 
The mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. See, a good preacher and a good pastor is not trying to get you to listen more to your flesh. He's trying to get you to listen to the spirit. And what we found is not everybody wants to listen to the spirit. They want to listen to their flesh. And hear this. The American church has taught them to listen to their flesh. Uh, Noontime. I mean, I literally had somebody one time that went like this. I don't remember if they tapped on it, but it was just good enough. I mean, how many people, as soon as it, like when you first started coming to Boomerang, it clicked past noon, you felt it. You can, it's okay, I think everybody. The first time it clicked past noon, you're like, oh my, is he still going? Did he go to another scripture? Oh my goodness. Why? Why would I do that? Doesn't he know that if he ends it on time, more people will come? I do know that. I'm very aware of that. I'm not looking for spiritually immature or people that want to stay spiritually immature. We're looking for the hungry who are tired of mediocre, who are tired of average, who want to worship God. We're looking for the people that are looking to put their flesh down and move into the fullness of the things of God, who, are, who need the joy of the Lord to pour out in their lives, who need something that's real, who need their families changed. We're looking for people that need to see the healing of God because Jesus paid for it. I need to see protection in my family. But you don't get to that by telling your flesh yes every time. You get to it by telling the Spirit that. Amen. He said this. Amen. He said, did I, cause you, did I call you to raise up weak Christians always catering to their flesh? Or did I call you, call you to raise up strong believers always catering to the Spirit. Right. And we'll have, we'll have the Holy Spirit service. We even started at 4 o'clock in the afternoon so that it doesn't go too late for Monday morning school. Half the people show up. Because they're not after the Spirit, they're after checking the box. They want a magic pill. <laughs> Some people are not familiar. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the reality of manifestation. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings joy. It doesn't bother me, so don't let it bother you. See, it's in moments, that's the anointing. And then it's in moments like that where the pressures of the world fall off and all of a sudden they walk out of here lighter. But see, most people are not even, they're so unfamiliar with the anointing of God that they don't even know that that's normal. And so they can't have a move of the Holy Ghost that they actually need, have that anointing. The anointed one and his anointing. They can't have that because they're so unfamiliar with it because they're given more to the uncomfortableness of the flesh. See, if you can't sit past noon and get comfortable in the uncomfort of your flesh, then you're not going to have a move of God and be comfortable with it. And that's actually what you need. 
Many times it's the power of God. You know, you, you, you can remember moments where people are trying to stand, but the power of God hits them so strong they can't stand any longer. And they're like, I don't know what to do with this. You don't have to know what to do with it. God's bigger than what you can figure out in your mind. But what you need is you need His power and His anointing. But you don't move into those levels when we just keep telling the flesh yes. We've got to learn how to tell the flesh no. To tell the flesh no so that the anointing of God can be poured out. We've got to learn. And so what the Lord was teaching me was how to be strong because it took a lot of guts to keep pressing past, even right now. You know, I feel the time. I feel it. I'm just choosing to say no to my flesh. I know y'all are wishing that I'd just stop telling it no for a little bit, but it's all right. You got till six tonight? That's okay. That's okay. But listen, how many times? How many, if I come stand here, y'all are just going to keep on. That anointing's flowing. How many times do we need something from God, but we're more concerned about Sunday afternoon lunch than we are with actual the thing from God? What if we just wait another 15 minutes and God just, boom, moves in the place and everything in your life is fixed? Would that be worth it? Do you realize that many times the Holy Spirit can't do the very thing that he wants to because we grieve him because we're telling the flesh, yes, but we're saying to the Holy Ghost, no. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. There's a whole lot. You know the Quakers? Anybody ever heard of the Quakers? You know, oatmeal. Quakers. <laughs> you heard of the Quakers? You know why they were called Quakers? They would sit there and they would just wait on the presence of God. They would just wait on the presence of God. They would just wait. Lord, we're not going, listen, we're not going anywhere until you move. And all of a sudden, the power of God, it would come in so many times because they would wait on him, serve him instead of serving their flesh. They would wait on him and serve him. And all of a sudden, the presence of God would come in, and they just start to quake under the power of God. It was, it was literally, they were called Quakers because they would just shake under the power of God. Yeah. It's very similar. You see, now see this, is not, this is not just them thinking something's funny. This is, this is a move of the joy of the Lord. That's the anointing of God. Now, there's many people at like 12, 15 that would have thought God's not going to move in here anymore today. <laughs> but yet, he wanted to. Yet he wanted to. You think I can make them do that? You think that? Like most people would think they're interrupting me. I'm not that funny. Like even when I try to be funny, it never comes out like that. I'm funny all the time in my own head. Y'all never laugh. That's the Holy Ghost. It's just like a parent. Just like a parent that goes and, you know, it's like the other day, Luke was, he's been like being all boy recently and attacking his sisters and everything with snowballs and, 
And it was funny, he got a new pair of socks for Christmas. And so he took one sock, put it in the other sock, and it became his weapon. And he was just running around the house all week. Wham! I mean, just like, wham! All of a sudden, I was sitting there doing something. I was like, doof! Oh, man! And, uh, and he just, you know, it was like... And so eventually, you know, we're, we're out, and we go to a place, and there's snow. And I was like, all right, fine, this is the end of the week. I'm, I'm getting him, you know. So I chase him down, and I'm tickling him. I'm grabbing him. And as a parent, what am I? I'm having a blast, you know, just seeing the joy on his face. And I grab him by his foot, and I'm dragging him in the snow, <laughs> you know. And, and I'm just having a blast. Well, that's what God likes. The year is children. He's like, he just comes up, and he just, goochie, goochie, goochie. And, and, and all of a sudden... You ever have, even science tells you you have a good laugh and it just breaks off the weight. That's the joy. That's probably why the Lord had me say something about joy earlier. It's the joy of the Lord and it's just the Lord saying, I want, I want to break you loose. Well, you see, you don't move into the greater things of God by keeping, telling, keeping on telling your flesh yes. You've got to learn how to tell your flesh no. That takes discipline. And listen, discipline... Uh, Romans 12.11, or Hebrews 12.11, it says discipline for the moment always seems sorrowful and not joyful. But to those who will give themselves to discipline will eat the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So you're going to have, like even as I keep on talking, you know, you're like, golly, you've proven your point. I'm not trying to stretch it out. This is the Holy Ghost because this is what church is. It's okay. and, and, and let me let me just put some people at, at ease. If you need to use the bathroom, use the bathroom. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> I'll be right here. Everybody, I was almost expecting a mass exodus at that moment, but that's okay. I'm about done. I think. I'm trying. But God kept saying, go longer. Keep going, keep going. I was like, I don't want to go longer, Lord. I didn't realize there was something I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that by me constantly being and living in that script and trying to finish at a certain time, I was getting you, I was teaching you how to say yes to your flesh. And I was responsible, and I'm the one who's called to teach you the exact opposite. And I went, my goodness. Because God said, I'm not calling, I'm not, I haven't called you to raise up weak Christians, but strong ones. Listen to this. Therefore, it says, and see, the people that want to grow and, and get out of average and get out of mediocrity, they, they don't mind that. Right. The, the, the people that are satisfied with it, they mind it. Spirit of religion minds it. But somebody who says, Lord, I'm yours. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it is. I'm hot for you, but I'm not lukewarm. They don't mind it because they're saying, look, I I know. I don't just do it just to make you. I'm not like just trying to be, you know, big bad pastor. That's not the point. The point is that how are you going to grow in something if you don't keep stretching yourself? How are you going to grow in something if you don't, if you're not mindful to take the steps to stretch yourself in that. You know, when I was in boot camp and in the Marines, I didn't just get stronger because I kept doing something that I felt like I could do. No, I had to stretch beyond what I thought I could do to get to those new levels. You know, 
I, I couldn't just go in there and do them. When I first got there, it was like, you know, three or four pull-ups. That was it. By the end, you know, it had some moments where I did like upwards, of, upwards 15, 16, 17, 20, something like that. But at the beginning, that was like my weakest point, but I had to keep stretching. And it really did help having someone there, you know, cussing at me that helped me be encouraged to keep pulling on that bar, you know. Well, at least I'm not cussing at you. Glory to God. But I am here to help stretch you. My job is not here to coddle your flesh. Yeah. My job is to grow you yeah. up. And as you say, yeah, I want to grow up. I want to go beyond. Then all of a sudden, you'll start stretching into the things that most people will not reach. But that takes you being tired of average. I'm tired of mediocre. How many people have been tired of seeing the church say how great God is? But where is His power? Where are those things? Almost everybody's like, the church just has nothing for me. Well, then you change it. We're going to change that. But we've got to decide. Then we're going to give our flesh up and we're going to crucify it daily and then we're going to give ourselves to Jesus. But that takes a decision. I'm tired of being average. I'm tired of being mediocre. And I don't want to be the people that gets up to heaven and somebody else is complaining in a town where I was planted in. And they have an excuse that there was no church operating in the real things of God. Yeah. No. If nobody else does. If the Lord tells me to keep preaching, keep preaching, and everybody just keeps walking out and keep walking out, I'm going to keep pressing after yeah. God. And yeah. when we all make that kind of decision, you'll build a new culture and a new dynamic that will move in the fullness of the things of God. But you've got to see that. We have to see that culture. We have to see that shift. You don't just change the whole culture of a society, set the rule and the government just by keeping things as the, at the status quo. You've got to decide, I want more than that, and I'm going to go after it. And God will empower you to do it. Actually, if you look more at the power of God and the grace of God to give you the strength to sit here and to keep receiving and keep in faith and keep in expectation, no matter how long it goes, you'll find that that power is waiting on you. And all of a sudden, you won't be hungry anymore. And, and what will have changed? The length? No, it would have been all in your heart. You say, Lord, I'm going to give myself to you for however long. We start at 1030, but I'm going to give myself to you for however long it needs to be. Yeah. At the present, we're not even at the three-hour mark yet. Not long, but we're, we're not there yet. <laughs> Ephesians 4.8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 11, and he gave, here's the gifts, some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? Here's church. Here's church definition. For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. The building up. Not the weakening it. The building up. Not the weakening it. This past week it was the most interesting thing as we're sitting there. Uh, I, I started at night. I started having pain in my hips. I started having pain in my hips at night. It was so bad I was waking up. I thought I was just dehydrated, but I've been drinking a lot of water. I'm like, what is this? I finally figured that out towards the end of the week. Basically, we had just sat inside looking at the snow, and we had not been active, and I hadn't stretched those ligaments. I hadn't stretched those muscles out, and at night they were just cramping up because I hadn't utilized them. 
You've got to learn to stretch and work some things or else you just get weak and atrophy. Not too long ago, my dad was having a back problem. He was, it was like severe, like severe back trouble. He went to the doctor. They couldn't find anything wrong. He said, here's what your problem is. And he told my dad, he said, you need to go to work. He said, you go to work. He said, I worked for two weeks and my back trouble went away. He got active. You've got stuff inside of you that Christ put in you, and you've got to work it. And if you don't work it, then you're going to find yourself hurting spiritually because we're not utilizing what God has given us. But God's given us something great, and we're supposed to build ourselves up to work and grow in those areas. And we're not trying to just cater to somebody who's a non-citizen. I'm talking to people who have been saved from the fires of hell. They've got something to live for. They've got something to tell somebody about. And we're talking about a people that wants to grow up in God and do something about it and stand in front of Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. not talking about people that just want to get by. Oh, I got my ticket to heaven. And then they never win anybody to the Lord. They never learn how to pray over somebody and see them healed. They never learn how to walk in abundance for every good work. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What are we growing up to? To the fullness of the stature of Christ. See, until we're at that fullness of the stature, we still got growth to do. That means we still got flesh to tell no. This is what church does. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. Listen, the devil's got so many tricks and so many deceptions and he just throws them at people and they are tripping all over it all the time. Why? Because they haven't given themselves to grow up in Christ. And most pastors are just teaching them how to tell their flesh yes. And so the devil throws a flesh deception at them, a flesh trap, and they just get eat up all the time. They don't even know how to tell the flesh no anymore. That's not a good pastor. A good pastor will challenge you. A good pastor will stretch you. A good pastor will keep preaching when he doesn't even want to keep preaching doesn't mean he has to do it all the time and I don't try to do that all the time but if he says to do it there's moments where we got to say all right flesh no no flesh no I'm here for my king but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ whom from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What are we tasked to do in church? You know, when we look at church, we see it's a family, a fellowship, a pillar of truth. It upholds truth. But see, if we're not actually giving ourselves to put down the flesh, we're not upholding truth. We're not upholding the word. We're upholding our flesh. And the world's looking for a church to be something that's carrying power. And nobody's carrying power because they keep telling the flesh yes. Yeah. 
and God know. We're to be ecclesia, a group of citizens, not a mixture, called out from their homes to gather together to set rule and government over the area. Citizens, not a mixture, called out. We're supposed to come out. That sets the rule. We are to be participants and not spectators. Mature Christ-like believers that are growing up in these things. What are we tasked with? Remember, don't abandon or neglect church. Here's, don't abandon, don't forsake. Here's what we're tasked to do. Don't abandon and forsake the church's importance. Don't abandon or forsake our placement or our planting. Don't abandon. See, many people will, when a pastor actually starts doing what they're supposed to do, many people will abandon where they've been planted because they don't like how long he went or whatever it is. And they completely abandon and neglect the gathering together in the body where God has placed them because their flesh didn't like it. But see, if we'll give ourselves to that discipline, the end is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But many people don't get to the peaceful fruit of righteousness because they won't give themselves to the planting. They keep telling their flesh yes instead of the spirit. Don't abandon and neglect the vision of the field that you're planted in or else you won't be flourishing. Don't abandon and neglect saltiness and light. Don't abandon and neglect family and fellowship. Don't abandon the truth. Don't abandon being a citizen and don't abandon the group of citizens. Don't abandon the calling out to come together. Don't abandon that. Don't abandon setting up rule and dominion of God in your area. Don't abandon your participation. Many people are supposed to be at this corporate prayer. They're supposed to be a part of life groups. They're supposed to participate and bring it. But they abandon church. They abandon the coming together. And because of that, the church is not as strong as it should be. Don't, but we're told not to abandon it. We're tasked with that. Don't abandon giving yourself to the Spirit. Don't abandon esteeming the gifts, the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Don't abandon unity. Don't abandon the knowledge of, of God that he's teaching you. Don't abandon the love that he's growing you up in in that church. Don't abandon submitting ourselves to growth, both personally and corporately. But our job is to strengthen the linchpin. Strengthen the linchpin strengthen the linchpin. What does that mean? That we get stronger and stronger as we give ourselves to what God has defined church as. And, and I want you to know, I understand and I get it when your flesh is yelling at you. I get that. I understand it. And listen, we've been at the same place and we've had to make the same decisions. But part of the reason why we get to lay hands on people and see the power of God change their life now is because we've said, all right, Lord, we are going to give ourselves to you. That's not just for pastors. That's for believers. Those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He says this, Proverbs 14, 8. Strengthen the linchpin. Here's your job. Strengthen the linchpin. In a multitude of people is the king's glory. In a multitude of people is the king's glory. But in a lack of people is a prince's ruin. We want to see a multitude of people. And we're not going to go about it by doing logical world's ways. 
He says, I'll build the church on the anointing, and we grow the anointing by giving ourselves to the Spirit. In a multitude of people, we need the anointing of God. We need it flowing. We need it moving in our lives. But we need to say, Lord, I'm going to give ourselves to grow in that anointing, to grow in that multitude. I'm going to give ourselves to grow. But I'm also going to give ourselves to grow the number of citizens by becoming a soul winner and inviting people to the life group, inviting people to church, inviting people to know Jesus even in the job and out on the streets. Listen, sheep beget sheep. Shepherds don't beget sheep. They might help bring about the birth. But sheep produce sheep. In other words, if we're in this flock together, the job is not for the pastor to win all the sheep. It's for the body, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To strengthen the linchpin, we have to add to the body. We have to add to it, and we have to give ourselves. He says, go and make disciples. Teach them all of these things. The two great commissions, I'll read these to you as we finish. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. This is a command. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them teaching them, growing them up. You can see the church in here to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my names. They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then when the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. He confirmed the word by people that said, Lord, I'm going to go after you. He confirmed the word by people that said, I'm going to tell my flesh no and I'm going to tell you yes. He confirmed the word and he added to the body as they released the anointing and they moved in these things. And this is what you're going to do. Y'all have done so great today because I know even today is a stretching. But you've done great and you said, look, I'm going to be there. I'm paying attention. I might, my flesh might not like it. It might be yelling at me, but I'm listening. I'm sticking. I'm saying yes to the Spirit and no to my flesh. And today, whether you know it or not, you grew on the inside. You grew. You started to see this is what church is and this is what it's not. And you can see how the American church is really gone away from what the Bible says church is and you can see why these things aren't working but we are not going to be those people we're going to be the people that grab a hold of the things of God and we'll see the power of God we'll see the life of God put into an area we'll be that light we'll be that salt and we'll change our families we'll change our jobs we'll change our bosses we'll change our employees we'll change the whole world in this region we'll fill up this place by the anointing and we'll teach people that, that come in. Look, it's not just about coming in and being gone by noon. you got to learn to tell your flesh no, and God will give them the power to do it, just like he's done it for us. 
God's going to move in your life. He's going to change your situation. But we don't just step into it and say, okay, uh, all right, Jesus, I accept you. Now please drop a magic pill and everything works. How's that been working for you? Guess what? It hasn't. Why? Because Jesus said this. I've did what I needed to do. All authority and power now here you have it and utilize it. Occupy till I come. Do something with what I've given you. It's in your hands. The question is, are we going to do what he's asked us to do? Are we going to be who he's asked us to be? And you can start to see why I preached longer. Why? Because we're not raising up weak Christians. We're, waking up, we're raising up people who will say yes to the Holy Ghost. Lord, you need me to go longer? You need me to fast a few extra days? Okay, I'll do it. You need me to sit for a longer period of time? Okay, I'll do it. Hey, there's a four-hour service. There's a five-hour service. I don't mind. But all of a sudden, in that fourth hour and 39 minutes, all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost flows in in his anointing because of people waited on the Lord. And all of a sudden, it starts solving. Boom, marriages come back together. The, the world is looking for that kind of church, but you can't have that kind of church if they're given to the flesh. You can't have that kind of church if you've got a show and not participants. You can't have that kind of church that's built on a mixture of citizens and non-citizens. It's citizens. Citizens is the church and that body is not there just to win souls on Sunday morning only that body is there to grow up the body to the fullness of the stature of Christ that body is there that pastor is there to help train and equip to do the work to do the work I'm not here and I'm never going to tell you something to do we got work to do but you're not going to do your work well if all you do is pay attention to the flesh. You're in a real church. You're in a place. You're not, you know, uh, <laughs> you're not in a place that's playing games. You're in a place that's going to raise you up. And will we have three-hour services every day? No, we won't. We will not. I don't want to all the time. The Lord doesn't want to all the time. But if he calls us to it, we will. Why? Because I don't serve me and I don't serve you. We serve him. We serve him. I'm just looking for some people that are hungry for the things of God, the actual things of God, and they're tired of playing church. They're tired of a spirit of religion. They're tired of the junk and the mediocre and the average. Looking for some people that are hungry, and here's why. Because if they'll get hungry and thirsty, they shall be filled. I'm looking for some people that want to walk in the feeling. I want, uh, I'm looking for some people that want to walk full and overflowing in life. They're, they're tired of, of all the excuses. They want to see the power of God. They want to walk in the power of God. They want to move to abundance and overflow, not just on Sunday morning, but every day of their life. They want to move in these places. I'm looking for the hungry. I'm looking for people that have a fire in their eyes and want to do something for God. Are you those people? If you're those people, then let's be that this year. And let's be what the church is called to be and stop playing games. The world is tired of religion. You were tired of religion. I'm tired of religion. Let's be it. But in order to do that, we've got to put our flesh down. 
We've got to commit ourselves to the Lord and serve Him and Him only. Actually make Him Lord. Yes. Lord. And that's who He is. Are you with me? Yes. Are you with God? Are you hungry? Are you tired of seeing the average? Yes. If you are, just stand on your feet. Father, we praise you and we worship you this morning. We give you the glory. Lord, thank you for moving among your people. Thank you, Father, for people that gave themselves to discipline, even this morning. Lord, touch their lives. Lord, pour out the blessings, even this week, just from their action, Lord. Father, you're not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that we also reap. Each person in here, they gave and sowed of their time and their effort and their resources. Lord, let them not be mocked today. But Lord, let them walk in the blessings of God, even this week. Let them walk in those things, Father. We thank you for it. And we give you the glory. Lord, I just ask right now that your strength and your life would be poured out. Healing be in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed and have a great week. Do you have anything? Amen. Have a great week.